Bob and Adam in the morning. I'm having a great time listening to you in the morning. Adam. Whoa. Are you a great interviewer? Mr. Up and Adam in the morning. I'm Up and Adam in the morning. It's Coast 104.5. It is Up and Adam in the morning. My name is Adam Montiel in studio uh, from the Your Own Backyard podcast. Chris Lambert is back up and Adam. It's a pleasure to have you, sir. How are you? I'm doing well. Man, I mean, I think of like the last time you sat in that chair and the things that we were talking about and surmising and wondering and then, shoot, taking calls off the air. I mean, it was really it was really something. And we had a lot of your time. And, man, I don't think there was a segment on this, the 10 years of the show, that got downloaded and people wanted to get a hold of more than that. So um, it's really great to have you back. And we have learned a lot since then. And you are now, I mean, you are now even deeper in this because they're – there's court appointments, and, and you're going to all of them. You're driving up for all of them. So right. you've even dug even deeper to this. Yeah. Yeah, I have. Yeah. I mean, it's it's wild. Um, talk about what it's like being there every day for the court hearings. Uh, I did, in my life, I had, a, I had a friend in high school, an old friend who was, uh, who was killed, and there was a big... It was a big, it was, it cuts in some media play and it, it was a trial that I actually took some time off of school so I could attend because he was just such a, um, a good friend of mine. So I have had this time where you're like spending, you know, this was for the trial every day in court. It's arduous. It's tiring. There's a lot of things that you don't, it's a lot of hurry up and wait. Right. What has it been like for you, but not only to, um, see these court hearings, but, you know, have your connection with, the case, the family, and watch all this go down? Um, it's been a new experience. Um, I, I wouldn't hesitate to say it's pretty stressful just because I don't know what I'm doing. Um, I'm not media. You know, I really am not media. I got into this and I'm sort of media by default at this point, but I was hoping Are you to comfortable attend- with that? What's that? Are you comfortable with that? It's uh, it's strange. Yeah. I, w- I was hoping to attend the court as it as moral support for the Smart family. They had other friends of Kristen's come down. The entire Smart family was in attendance, and I was hoping to be with their party. I was denied, and they said that I had to come in as media, that I qualify as media, so I'm not eligible to sit with the family. And I thought, I'm not reporting on this, and I, I mean, I wasn't intending to. Um, we can't have cameras in the courtroom um, except without audio. You can't take pictures of the audience or the witnesses, and all. There's all these rules, and I thought, well, in that case, I don't want to report. But I still have to sit with the media. And so it is kind of uncomfortable because that's not the capacity that I want to be attending these things as. But once I was there as media, it's like, I'm going to get this thing up. And, you know, I put a full summary up on Instagram oh my as gosh. soon as I got out of there. Well, like, you're, you know, you start to remind me in a way of, like, uh, Slow Stringer. Do you ever hear the stories of Slow Stringer? Yeah, yeah. I mean, just someone who just had this passion that just almost inserted them in a way that they were so inside that... They're just like, well, there's almost like this inherent obligation now. Like, well, we need to get info from you. And, and when you go to the Your Own Backyard podcast Instagram, I mean, it reads like, I mean, more than any. I mean, you're 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 detailing and giving more than any LA Times reporter, certainly any of our local reporters. I mean, it's it's pretty comprehensive. Yeah, and I also don't have the restrictions that a lot of our other media have. I'm not dedicating myself to every local news story. It's just this. And yeah. on top of that. I'm probably like one of the foremost people in that courtroom who hears a name, hears a date, hears a place, 
and can instantly recall the That's significance of that. So wow. even if they don't fully allude to what they're talking about, I usually know because I'm steeped in this every day. Let's talk about episode nine. It came out in two parts. You and I talked about episode nine. And at the moment when people were literally salivating for it, uh, you were just like very comfortable and like, this is going to be done right. This is going to be done on my time. Right. And you obviously... What I love that, that allows when we do get episode nine from you, it's the way it's supposed to be in your eyes. Right. And um, talk about what we talk about and what we learn in episode nine, part one. Yeah, so in the first episode, I kind of go back through um, the details of everything that we've learned since the arrests happen. Um, I go through being present for the search of Ruben Flores' home, two days, um, what it was like to be there on the scene, how the Flores family was reacting during the dig. I mean, driving by over and over and over, taunting the crowd and stuff. And um, then I start to, based on the fact that they found biological evidence under Ruben Flores' deck in those searches, I go back through from 1996 on and walk through all the instances that we kind of got really, really close to discovering that and didn't. And it's really difficult. One one of the moments that we talked about was um, this moment that Kristen's father drove down to the Central Coast, drove to Ruben Flores' home and tried to talk to the family. They shoot him away. And once they left, he came back and just kind of stood we there. followed them down the freeway. Yeah, followed them down the freeway in a U-Haul All the way to Buellton. Took photos and finally gave up. He thought, I don't think I can follow them. I don't know where they're going. Turned around and now he knows they're not home. So he's standing on the sidewalk of Ruben's home. He's overlooking Ruben's property, but he refuses to trespass. He's doing oh. everything by the book, but that was the closest he ever came to his daughter's body. He was oh my about God. 60 feet away at the I point. got chills just as you say that. And when you listen to that moment of the podcast, it weighs very heavy. And you're right. I mean, dad is now standing maybe 60 feet away above his where his daughter is laying. Right. And and we don't know this at the time. And yet he is, he's this restraint of a law-abiding citizen who wants to justice to be served correctly holds him back from going in there and even just taking a gardening shovel and just, I got to see, I got to know. Right. It's a really, like, it's it's a dynamic. It's it's really something incredible. Um, and, and it shows the strength of the Smart family, like the sheer strength of these folks in many ways. So episode nine, also, I was talking, and after I had you on, I had KSBY's Megan Healy. Yeah. And she gets this, like, 45-minute interview with Susan Flores out of nowhere, Ruben's like, hey, you want to come up here and take pictures? What is going on in their head for that to happen? And I mean, mainly, Megan, I think, has been doing a great job covering this case. And I hope they have her cover this because she's been killing it. But unbelievable moments right there of just like impulse and like, come on in. What do you chart that up to? Well, in the episode, I describe it as a mixture of confidence and just, I mean, they dug under the home where I believe the Flores family knows that Kristen's body was all that time, obviously. And then they left. There were no handcuffs. Nobody was arrested. Um, they obviously didn't recover her body there. And so I think when they returned to the property, it was just the most high, like, uh, adrenaline rush. It's like a bravado. Yeah. And so they um, immediately agree. I think the impetus for that was come look at the damage they did. Come look at how much we've been harassed by the police. Yeah. But then once she started talking, she didn't stop. And no. I think Megan tried to wrap it up several times, and Susan just kept talking over her. The I cameraman's know. stepping in, and he's asking questions. I know. It just kept going on and on and on. Um, she threw me under the bus a few times, which, I mean, 
all things considered, I think she took it kind of easy on me, but um, a few of the things that she pointed out was that I never approached her in person, which is true. I myself did not go to her home. Um, there's a documented history of the Flores family calling the police on people who try to approach them. 48 Hours approached them, Dateline 2020, KSBY over the years, the Slow Tribune. I mean, there are the Los Angeles Times came up here. She used to hand out business cards that she would keep in her purse that said, we chose not to discuss this case in the court of public opinion, but in the court of law. Mm -hmm. And she would hand those to reporters instead mm -hmm. of commenting. Mm -hmm. And so I sent somebody else instead to go to her house and let her know there's a podcast in production. We would love to talk to you about this. Before they could even get that out, she's calling the police on them. Uh. And so... You know, over the years, people have tried to talk to her and she was completely unwilling. But then when Megan finally gets let in, she tries to throw everyone else under the bus and say no one ever wanted to talk to her. It's just crazy. Yeah, it is. It really is. Uh, wow. We've got Chris Lambert, the Your Own Backyard podcast. We're going to come back, talk about what some of those things that um, Chris and I talked about in his first appearance here on the show, uh, ground penetrating radar, cadaver dogs and um you know, seize, uh, they seize the cars and things like that. So what these now we know, after, you know, we got, you know, 75 pages of court documents here, uh, what that garnered. We'll talk about that and more when we got Chris Lambert from the Your Own Backyard Podcast. It's Up and Adam in the Morning. This is Up and Adam in the Morning. Coast 104.5, thank you for being Up and Adam in the Morning. Chris Lambert is here with Your Own Backyard Podcast, the piece of Episode 9. Paul is charged with the first-degree murder of Kristen Smart and Ruben with accessory after the fact, helping his son dispose of Kristen Smart's body, as has long been speculated. So why are they being arrested now, after all this time? Because during a dig at Ruben's house on March 15th, investigators believe that they finally located the exact spot where Kristen Smart's body was buried 25 years ago. But there's one major problem. She's not there anymore. And that's where you come in. Chris Lambert is up and at him in the morning. Episode 9 and the beginning of the end is actually two parts. I mean, I tell you that you got to go listen to it, but I'm pretty confident you already have. I'm, I'm really curious, Chris, how long did these episodes take to edit. I mean, this music is you. Everything, the right, I mean, it's all you. Yeah. How long did this one take to edit and master and everything? Gosh, it's hard to say, because um, I was really working on it all along behind the scenes, but once uh, it came down to crunch time, probably two weeks of just every day working on it, like 12 hours a day. At what point do you go, this, is, this has got to be two episodes? Um, you know, it was probably the week before it came out. Um, I was reading the script out loud to my girlfriend, and I was like, this is getting long. Is this like, I mean, I don't want people to tune out at a certain point. Should I find a breaking oh, point? Oh, dude, no one's tuning out. This? <laughs> That's a good point, though. Yeah. That's a good point. I think that we do have a an attention span mm -hmm. that you get to a certain point, and it's like, okay, I'm ready for a little break here. And I thought, let me just break this up into two. Um, there were two distinct halves of the story I was trying to tell as well, which is the current goings-on, and then the Flores family history, which I learned a lot about when I went down to the South Bay and was trying to interview um, victims of Paul's, who I talked to. But then there were also people saying, well, I knew Paul back when he was a kid, and he was already doing this kind of stuff. No, junior and, high. Yeah, and they kind of built this history that I, I really wanted to tell. Okay, so um, 
How long does it take you to produce the music? Are we producing music for each episode? Can you revisit? And I mean, the music, you have a small catalog that you produced and made, and you can kind of reapply it, or how does it work? Yeah, I think I've got about 60 cues at this point that I reuse for different points. I, I kind of want it to have a thematic sense of cohesion and everything, but I produce a couple new pieces per episode that... Um, like episode seven, for instance, I wanted a theme song for Detective Clint Cole because he's this new character and I spent time composing that. So this one, the newest themes are basically when I revisit all the things that have happened in the past, I composed a new piece for that. How do you, let's just say the, the, the theme song, what, what is the dynamic of the, the mood? Are you playing all the instruments? I mean, are you, what are you thinking about when you're saying how this is going to go? What, what's going on through your mind? Um, for the intro in particular, I really wanted each episode to, you know, set off on this sense of, like, we're going on an adventure together and we're going to try to explore this. Um, some mystery in there, you know, I really wanted there to be energy. I'm playing all the instruments. It started as an acoustic song, but then I hired a cellist to play the cello that you hear over the top. That's that melody. Um, and she's very professional. She came up with some amazing parts that I cut together. And, yeah. Um, but I'm playing everything else. Wow. That's um, that's amazing. It's really, it's really. Um, I've always been fascinated because being someone who's, you know, either in broadcasting or audio or production, like just to um, the fact that you are doing all this stuff and and so talented at every little layer and someone who is, you know, learning about the case or listening for. I mean, shoot, when it's not in your own town. Uh, true crime is a is a fascination of people, you know. Right. True crime kind of takes a different meaning and a different weight when it's in your own backyard, you know, no pun intended. Um, new charges, including um, two rape charges that they are bringing up from Los Angeles County that are, they say, rape with uh, drugs. Yeah. This was kind of like an M.O. they discovered with him, wasn't it? Yeah, and, and sort of by accident. I mean... Um so when they executed search warrants last year at all the Flores family properties, they're looking for evidence of Kristen Smart's death, um, whether it be some sort of trophy that was saved or something on their computers, their text messages. They took all of their electronics devices. They're looking for communications. And what they discovered accidentally is that Paul has this treasure trove of videos of himself raping unconscious women, like dozens of them. And... So that began last year, and they spent the rest of the year trying to piece together this case with this additional M.O., which is, if we didn't know for a fact that he raped and killed Kristen before now, we now know that he has a propensity for this, and he's kind of obsessed with it. And so they wanted to use that as evidence. They, won't, they call it propensity evidence. That's a great way to put it, obsessed with it, because they even so far in the charges, and as a 47-page uh, document, and in there, they talk about his Google searches. Right. And you can read what this dude searches for on the Internet, and it just makes you want to throw up. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty upsetting. And I've, I mean, I've been sort of on the inside trying to follow what I could. You know, obviously, uh, the sheriff's department, the district attorney's office, they're not going to share private info with me. But I do have friends, and I have people who, you know, I have ears and eyes all over the Central Coast. And I'm sort of privy to the fact that after they discovered those videos on his hard drive, there are detectives who have to watch those videos to try to identify the victims. And they're traumatized. There are detectives who have had to get therapy because of watching these videos mm. and knowing what Paul is capable of. It's, it's very devastating. Another thing that I learned in this 47-page, uh, you know, just like, 
a crazy amount of information, was the FBI was involved in some undercover recordings. What do you know about what the FBI was doing undercover and what that yielded for the charges? Um, I, I don't want to say too much more than they've released already, but yeah, they had undercover officers who were trying to um, get information out of Paul all along that, you know, cozy up to him and become friends with him and try to get him to confess information. And it's my understanding that he did share details that contradicted the stories he's told in the past. Yeah, like in public. Yeah. And they have video of these. They do. I mean, Apparently they're, they're, hours of them. That's incredible to me. Yeah. I just can't imagine, and I talked to Elon Funky Bilu on the show, and, um, you know, we talked a little bit about that defense angle because it is something, if you're fascinated with the case, you know, you do have to consider and get into. Uh, one, the defense for those who were in court. I didn't see this much in all the paperwork I digested, but uh, the defense was just brutal. On Kristen, I mean, just absolutely brutal. I don't even want to bring up some of the things because, the, the, first of all, they, they if they were true, they wouldn't matter to what happened to her. And the fact that the family, who I know listens to this show, especially when you're on it, and had to already hear this in the court, it just doesn't make any sense to make them relive that. But, man, the defense is not pulling any punches. No, and that's their job. I mean, they're in a tough position where they've got to just tear down every angle and i kind of expected it but there are so many rumors that came out after kristen went missing you can imagine when a woman goes missing locally and she doesn't resurface the more time she's gone the more rumors start to spread i've heard that she was involved in bank heists i've heard that she had some foreign friends that she had taken off with and they were committing some sort of crimes i'd heard she was pregnant i'd heard um just a number of rumors that i kind of expected the defense to try to use to raise reasonable doubt we don't know who this girl was they tried to say she had four different aliases and what they mean by that is that her email signature she said Kristen, aka roxy aka trixie mm-hmm. all these names that she thought were cute that any 19 year old girl <laughs> right. would try to go by they try to rebrand them as aliases to make it sound like Kristen is leading a double life and we don't really know what she was up to. There are a number of other possibilities besides Paul killing and raping her. Yeah, and that's so, I mean, I don't, I, I even asked Elon Funky Bilu, I said, would you take this case? And he just like, Oof. like, I don't know. I mean, like, the, you know, I mean, this is a guy who I've seen defend a lot of, a lot of, you know, questionable situations because that's what a job, the job of a defense attorney is. But uh, he's like, I'd have to ask my wife, you know, like, because this to to defend Paul Flores for this, especially if you live in this town, would be, uh, and I guess these, where are these people from, this defense attorney? They're from L.A.? No, they're from Santa Barbara County. Santa Barbara County. And it, I know it's it's their job, sure. and I get a lot of people who are defending them saying everybody deserves legal representation. Oh, yeah. 100%. But when they're talking about somebody you love in court, mm-hmm. it's hard not to feel that way about it. Oh, them. I can't even imagine what the Smart family goes through when they listen to some of the things that were brought up. Now, um, none of those things would make what happened to Kristen even remotely acceptable, Um but listening to them is, is definitely tough nonetheless. I want to talk about more on this when we come back. we got Chris Lambert. He is from the Your Own Backyard podcast. We're talking about the latest on the Kristen Smart case. This is Up and Adam in the Morning. It's Coast 104.5 and Up and Adam in the Morning. In studio, Chris Lambert from the Your Own Backyard podcast. Episode 9 and 10, two parts. 
Man, when you did episode nine, people were just probably fiending for ten, huh? Yeah, I think when I released part one, I was still editing part two, and I saw the comments pouring in, like, how long do we have to wait? Right. Like, it's almost here, I swear. Yeah. And then there was a, there was a reason you had to kind of, like, edit something and repost it. Yeah, there was one person who had reached out and asked me to bleep out one little portion of their story, and yeah. I had to re-upload the episode, and it took, like, two days to be on Apple again, and people were emailing me pretty upset. Yeah, I do a podcast, too, and I've noticed that Apple, in the last couple weeks, they went through some different, like, change in their platform, mm -hmm. and while you would post, and it would publish, like, almost immediately, yeah. now it's, like, an hour, hour and a half, 20 minutes. It's weird. It's, yeah. It's there were, different. There were people the next day saying, I downloaded it, and the last, like, 20 minutes are blank. Like, I oh, have weird. no idea how that happened, but... It shouldn't be that way. Yes, yeah, so what happened to me is I got episode 9, and it said I had episode 10, but then when I had hit play, it said there was an error, and I was yeah. like, no. Yeah, yeah. You, got, you got people freaking out. All right, we're going to take a couple questions for uh, Chris Lambert here. 783-1045, we got Ben on the phone. Uh, my, my one question for you uh, today would be, uh, it, since the, the L.A. rape charges weren't going to be added to the case per uh, reportings, um, do you think that they're more likely to be added, uh, or do you think they're more likely to be charged in L.A. if uh, this case goes successfully for Kristen? And uh, do you think, like, what, what effect do you think the outcome of Kristen's case will have on those charges? Yeah, that's going to be difficult. Um, so because those videos were discovered last year and those uh, victims came forward last year, Los Angeles already had an entire year that they just sat on these and did not prosecute them. It's my understanding that San Luis Obispo was waiting for them to prosecute those before they moved ahead with Kristen's case. And after a while, they just threw in the towel and said, it's our turn because they were not. And so my understanding is that Los Angeles is notoriously difficult to prosecute these sorts of crimes because the burden of proof is so high. Also, I'll add this. I've been following the situation with their new district attorney, uh, George Gascon. And he's already under recall because of his completely unconventional, like, I mean, the guy's just pretty mad. Yeah. And I don't see him charging. I mean, he's charging barely anything right, right. now. He's so. very, very soft on crime in a way that we haven't seen before. Ever. Ever. Yeah. So um, there, I have no I have no promice that these will ever be charged in L.A. LA County. Yeah, it's going to be very yeah. tough. Thanks for the call, Ben. Appreciate it, man. Hi, Coast. Who's this? This is Kirsten. How, how are you? Kirsten, well, thank you for calling. What's your question for Chris? Well, yes, I had a question. I read in an article that they found in the backyard the DNA primate and ferret blood that they had to rule out. Did he hear anything about that, and what was his take on that? Yeah, so actually the finding was that the test came back that it was human blood, but in any of those tests, they are never able to rule out the possibility of primate or ferret blood because they are very similar to human blood. So they're prepared to argue that um, the likelihood that he had a primate or a ferret buried under his deck is pretty out there. And so um, that's a very standard thing with blood tests. Yeah. Got question. it. Thanks, wow. Kirsten. Thank I appreciate you. you being up and at him in the morning. Thank you so much, Chris. Have a great day. Thank you. Kind of going back to Ben's question a second, how important do you think these extra charges of rape with drugs and this evidence of his past behavior with uh, past victims on videotape, how important is that, do you think, in the successful prosecution of Paul Flores for Kristen's murder? It's very important. Um, Kristen's is a case where we don't have a body, we don't have a weapon, and so it's very difficult to prove that she's even dead, let alone that she was raped and murdered by Paul Flores. But when you go into somebody's house, 
and you discover, as I said, that this person is literally obsessed with drunken and drugged unconscious women. It's sickening. It's exactly the MO that we've always believed of what happened to Kristen that night. But being able to prove it without using those additional rapes yeah. is going to be an uphill battle again. We're back to prove that she's even dead, square one. This is 47-page document, and in it, like, four or five pages are just, like, two, three lines of another woman, another woman. I mean, yeah. it is unbelievable. And then when you see quotes of what this uh, freak was Googling and, like, what would turn him on and what he wanted him to see, I mean, my mom always said, like, Garbage in, garbage out. You reap what you sow. You plant rose seeds. You get rose bushes. You put this stuff in your head, in your body, in your eyes. Like this is this is evil stuff. He was looking at, at pleasing himself ocularly with on the internet. It's unbelievable. Yeah, and I, as I laid out in episode ten, I believe the likelihood that these fetishes developed independently of Kristen's disappearance is just astronomically low. I think that absolutely that Kristen's death and the uh, adrenaline rush of getting away with it right. has probably emboldened him to continue this. Well, you'd read over and over again of someone who he would run in contact with and he'd run his mouth. Yeah. Like, how how can you... I don't get that. Was that surprising to you or just like, oh, it's another person who we kind of... And now, you know, we talked about the last segment how in this paperwork we learned that the FBI has, you know, many, many hours of uh, undercover videos of him and kind of, like we said, buddying up to him. But he would literally just get... Like, oh, yeah, see, like, you know, seeing her on TV going, oh, yeah, that one, yeah, we, I fixed her or whatever. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's, it's wild. Yeah, and, and I think that's part of the reason why his parents have gotten him to shut up so tightly now, yeah. and they protect him. I mean, there's various stories I've heard about people going to his door, and his sister grabs him by the collar, pulls him in, and slams the door and calls the police. His whole family has been protecting him because I don't think he can keep his mouth shut with them. Yeah. You think he's kind of slow? You know, kind of I don't know. A little it's, bit. it's hard to say. He's definitely got some social disorders. Yeah. Um, the the disfluency or stuttering, as people call it. Um, people have pointed out too that you don't want to conflate the stuttering with creepiness. Like just because he had a speech impediment, sure. that alone is not proof of him being creepy. Great what point. it is is it's proof that this is the same guy over and over. That everybody I've talked to, they're clearly talking about Paul Flores. Have you ever heard that adjective being used to describe another human soul ever? Not in this way. No. I mean, everybody I talk to, I, I do like a supercut in episode 10 of all these women back to back creepy, to back. Creepy, creepy, creepy. creepy. Staring. St yeah, that weird lurking, blank stare. Looking from across Ugh. the room. Uh, the bouncer describes him as a people watcher. He's always standing watching for the most intoxicated woman so he can take her outside, offer her a ride evil. home, and then instead take her to his house. Inherent evil. Uh, the, the the conversation you have with the bouncer in L.A., and he talks about, look, I've broken up a bunch of fights. I've seen it all, and nothing was quite like this guy. Yeah, just relentless. Yeah. Uh, 783-1045, good morning. Hey, good morning. I had a question for Chris. Go ahead. Sure. Um, so they have the charges against Ruben, and if what the neighbor saw in February is true, could she get charged as well? Who is that, Susan? Uh, are you talking about the neighbor yeah. or Susan? No, 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 Susan. Susan. Yeah, it's difficult. Um, basically, what she saw... Um, was some sort of unusual activity taking place alongside Ruben Flores' deck, but without knowing exactly mm -hmm. what they were doing, it's going to be pretty tough 
to get Susan with any other charges. Everybody wants Susan arrested, but they just don't have enough hard evidence to connect her. It's it's a mm -hmm. large um, amount of evidence they need to make an arrest. Right. And then what they found with the blood, um, I saw the defense had said it could, <coughs> excuse me, it could have been uh, animal blood. Is there a way they can rule that out? So they definitively have determined that it was human blood. Um, the the only factors are that in these sorts of cases, you cannot rule out primate blood because it's very similar in structure to human blood. The likelihood that Ruben Flores had a monkey buried under his deck is so much more far out than him having Kristen Smart's right. body there. Um, so that's the argument they're going to have to make is we cannot rule out those other possibilities. And I'm positive the defense is going to go to town with those sorts of things. Um, they've also got right. fibers, though, in that soil that appear to be consistent with the clothing that Kristen was wearing that night. And that will be entered as well. So there's a pretty strong case for that. Is, when they say biological evidence, is there more? Was, was that the blood or was it even more? Is there something else that we don't know of yet? It's the blood as far as I know. There could be more to it that I don't know about, but in the unsealed documents, it mm -hmm. confirms blood. Yeah. And what are they finding wow. when they find blood of that nature? Obviously, it's, I mean, the, the soil might be moist, but it's not going to be blood as we would understand it, right? No, in this case, so you've got a <laughs> six foot by four foot hole that's very clear in the ground penetrating radar, and you've got staining that appears in the shape of a body like somebody was buried there and then something was poured over them and that sort of uh biological evidence had made this staining pattern in the dirt so you've got these like rivulets of blood running through the dirt down to like four feet below when they talk about like a chemical poured over is that almost like like what we see like in breaking bad i mean yeah. like they're trying to like dissolve a body very well could be yeah it's hard to know. Yeah. Um, I think all they know is the staining for sure, but it appears to be consistent with that. Yeah, I wonder if they can identify those chemicals, you think? I think they'd probably be working on it already yeah. if they could. And Chris, if I can just say really quick, honestly, thank you for everything you're doing. I know you hear it all the time, but our community truly, truly appreciates, appreciates you. And those last two episodes just gave me chills. It was amazing. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Yeah, they were some. Thanks a lot for the call. Take care. All right, we're going to come back. we got Chris Lambert here. It's from the Your Own Backyard Podcast. It's Coast 104.5. You're up and at him in the morning. Up and at him in the morning. It's Coast 104.5. You're up and at him in the morning. My name is Adam Montiel. we got Chris Lambert from the Your Own Backyard Podcast. He is in studio. Uh, thanks for being up and at him again. Thanks for joining us in studio. Yeah, no problem. So when was the last time you were, like, surprised by anything in this case? I mean, you are so steeped into this a dynamic what was was anything you heard in court uh, anything like that ever just kind of go oh man that even surprised me i mean there were minor details in the unsealed documents which i i still don't fully understand why the documents were unsealed now mm -hmm. it feels like a strange time um especially when they're so concerned with the media attending the hearings um that they won't let us have audio recording in the courtroom if we take video we can't point it at certain people because it might taint a jury pool or whatever and yet they released this huge document with people's first and last names i mean there's a lot that's of the 47 page one right yeah and i don't understand the strategy of releasing that now or why things are unsealed when they are but there were a few details in there where i thought whoa i've heard this story before but i've never seen a name attached and now they yeah. have that like the the sheriff's department has boxes and boxes full of evidence that i've never been allowed to see yeah um like you talked about hours of videotape from undercover officers i would love to see oh all gosh. that stuff but so there were little details here and there that i was not familiar with but the majority of it was not that much of a surprise to me it's pretty i, I was 
a little uh, relieved to see that it's so close to my own theory of the crime and the timeline of events that I'm not too far off base. Not at all. Not at all. That's actually a really good point. Um, the, in that 47-page trove, there was this time where he runs his mouth, um, likely drunk, which he seemed to be a lot, and he talks about a, a skate ramp in Wasna. Right. And then it's like, well, let's go check out a skate ramp. And so this kind of brought to the surface to me at least a couple things. One, there are some other places where there are talk there are talkings of as yeah. far as like where she could be. And they're going out and digging at these places and making like they're going out with ground penetrating radar. So I guess my question to you is we saw them, you know, a little bit before you were in here last time. We saw it on TV and all that. Um, I mean, you literally have the sounds of the, the, the hammers and the shovels in the ground on uh, episode nine. But are we to believe that there are probably more either excavations, diggings, ground penetrating radars, exercises, um, things happening in places we might not even know of? Yeah, absolutely. And wow. that's uh, I get that question asked to me a lot. People will DM me and say, why aren't they looking? Why aren't they looking here or there? This search for Kristen's body is ongoing. It's every day. There are multiple different people looking for her in different ways. Um, I don't know about the efforts for a lot of people email me to ask about search parties and when will the community be involved. I don't know. But I do know they're doing lots of secret digs that nobody is noticing. They're, as they reveal in this unsealed document, they did a major search in Wasna in January of last year. And while that was going on, I got two emails that entire time from people who saw something suspicious, but they weren't quite sure what it was. Yeah. And so that's that's how uh, adept they are at doing this kind of thing without being noticed. This is what they do. Yeah, that's pretty interesting. And then when you go into, because I think of what you and I were you know, talking about and kind of surmising, what could they be learning? And you were literally there watching the dogs kind of react over here and not do this and do that. Uh, but then to read in the 47 pages what they absolutely found what dogs i mean you, i mean some of these things they talk about the dog's name you know like the dog goes yeah. around here and it's like sierra finds this and right and then it's pretty wild and then you really get a chance from like oh six foot by four foot this and the, the people think that the ground did this i mean it's very specific what we now know what was happening as far as that research that's right yeah yeah pretty crazy um so this um can they even have the trial here do you think they can have it in San Luis Obispo County? People have been mentioning that to me before I even put out my first episode. They were like, this case has been covered so much locally, they're never going to find a jury pool here. My example was the O.J. Simpson Bronco chase. Mm -hmm. One of the most viewed televised events of all time. And they still found a jury in Los Angeles County, and they still tried it there. Um, there are arguments to be made that there are so many people who are completely unaware of what's going on in the Kristen Smart case. There are people who have never heard the podcast before. Um, and a lot of people ask me, too, are you at all concerned about tainting the jury pool? No. no. I, there are so many layers and steps of people that I run things by to say, if I word it this way, is that going to cause an issue? Or should I take this out and make it, you know, there are people who are advising me on what is and is not okay to say legally. Really? And so, yeah, there's no way that what so I'm doing is... So you don't get sued or for the integrity of the case? Both. Yeah. Uh, I mean, those are both um, concerns, but mostly for the integrity of the case. I think I could take being sued if it came down to that, because I think could a you? lot of the things I'm saying 
our, our opinion and I establish them pretty firmly as a right. opinion. And there are other things that other people are saying. I mean, this is a firsthand account of what somebody went right. through. Have you ever been and hit so, up with a cease and desist or anything like that? No, I was at one point, somebody did reach out with their attorney and say, you can't use my name in your podcast. And I kind of established your name has been all over in newspapers and stuff. And we had a friendly conversation and worked it out. It was no big deal. Yeah. And they had kind of misunderstood the way that they were used in the podcast anyway. And so um, I'm not as concerned about that as I am about you know, case integrity, and that's why I run it by many, many people before it ever comes out. What about Susan Flores or uh, the Flores situation? They've never approached you or said, don't do this or threatened you or anything? No, it's really interesting because she brings up in her KSBY interview, like I said, that I've never... I've never been to her door, and I've never bothered her because I knew that it wasn't going to lead to anything positive. She knows how to get a hold of me. Um, I'm pretty sure she's got my business card. If she doesn't, I can drop off another one. Um, <laughs> I'm happy to talk to Susan at any time. And really, in all the research that I've done, as much as I've learned about the Flores family history, I don't think that Susan Flores is a monster. You know, I really don't think... I think that she's maybe detached and that her position is to protect her family. Yeah. And I understand that. But there are moments in that KSBY interview and in depositions where that was I massively see, revealing. I see some humanity cracking through. You know, there there is a part of her that wants to empathize with the smart family, but is also so irrationally upset with them just for looking for their daughter. I think yeah. if Susan Flores in 1996 had contacted the smart family or responded to their letters and said, look, I sincerely don't believe my son had anything to do with this, but why don't you come over for coffee? We'll sit down in the same room. You can ask my son anything you want, mm -hmm. and I'll be there watching. I'll answer, too. I think that the Smart family would have taken her up on that, and they could have resolved this right then and there. Yeah. And the fact that she refused to respond um, was hostile with them, according to coworkers, friends of hers, just hated the Smart family right off the bat. Yeah, well, Denise was, like, sending her, like, cards. Like, this is a card that Chris made me. If right. you know anything about my daughter right could you please we're, reach out to we're me? not coming after you and your family right. we just want answers and yeah i mean that is still my position if susan ever wants to talk anybody in the flores family ever wants to just talk about this yeah i'm willing to listen and such a weird paradox with that interview that she gave to megan healy just literally out of nowhere because i even texted megan i was like am i crazy but do I see, I think I probably said the same thing, do I see a little humanity in this woman? Oh, yeah. But then also, in the same conversation, she refuses to say Kristen's name and calls her that woman. Yeah, I mean, she's put herself in a position where she cannot treat Kristen Smart as a human being. Right. Because I think if she did, she might have some kind of breakdown. I mean, mm -hmm. this is a tough position she's in. And I get it. You're in between this rock and a hard place where if you you say what you know or if you do know that your son is guilty or if you do know that her body was concealed on your property, what's going to happen if you reveal that? But at the same time, are you going to continue to live your life like this forever? Is this going to be the secret you take to your grave? Yeah, well, it just seems like, you know, um, like if you think of a tea bag going bad and some water and it just it gets stale it gets bitter it's just it, it messes up that that water will never be good tea again i imagine like the way she is going about it i don't know that she's the mastermind of this all but i think there's enough in that tea bag where it's going bad and it's going to affect her forever i don't understand why you would want to choose to hold that in and take that with you what what's what what are you what are you defending your ex-husband for yeah, what are you defending I, her my mom always told me if i got arrested you get one phone call. Don't make it me. Right. Because, like, I'm not going to defend it. It's something bad that you do. Yeah. 
I mean, that was one of the first questions I asked my own mom when I was first starting this. Really? What would you do if I called you in the middle of the night? Like, what would your position be? What'd she say? Turn yourself in. Yeah. I mean, I would, I would love you to death. I would hold your hand through it, but turn yourself in. Yeah. I am not going to be protecting. And also, if I knew that you were innocent and they wanted to come dig up my backyard, I'd be like, dig up, you know, the yeah. entire block. Yeah, do right. whatever you have to do to get my son, his name cleared. Yeah. Uh, do anything. And... That was another thing in the KSBY interview. She sort of insisted that it was their own choosing to not dig up her yard, which is so out there. I mean, let us dig it up now then. Yeah. And, but, but if you bring that up, she'll say, well, now you can't because of this. You wasted your opportunity or, or, or. There's never been an open. I, I, I played in one of the newest episodes the clips from the deposition with Ruben where they said, could we do ground penetrating radar in your yard? And his answer was, Come back and ask me once all these depositions are done. What was done. that about? They even asked him that twice in that yeah. deposition. It's a delay tactic, I yeah. think. I, I think because he wants time to clean up evidence. And so it's, no, you can't do it yet, but ask me later. Well, we're asking you right now. May we? Well, ask me again when it's all done. Well, it probably never will. And it has not ever all been done. That case was stayed in court. So to this day, for the next you know, 16 years after that deposition, they have yet to finish all those depositions. So creepy, monster, evil. There's a lot of adjectives you can apply to Paul Flores. Smart doesn't seem to be one of them. I don't think he's the mastermind of this. Do you think it's Ruben? you think it's the dad the whole time that has been masterminding? Because obviously there have been mistakes made, and we know that. But there's a how they were able to, like, li, you know, lift a body and move it and it's just like there's somewhat of a mastermind behind this yeah i think um i think that parental instinct kicked in right off the bat i believe that ruben kept her body close because i I mean for years and i point this out in another episode if you look on the google maps view and you go by ruben flores's home he comes out on the driveway to watch that car drive by he did that to me Months, years before I ever put out a podcast episode, he had no idea who I was. And I would drive by that house and he'd come out to see who it was. He lives his life guarding that property. And that was one reason why it stuck out to me. It's like these families, uh, this, this family is so obsessive about protecting these properties. There has to be something there. And even if it's been moved, which I surmised early on, even if it's not there anymore, they're terrified that there's enough evidence left over that it's clear that something was there. And sure enough, that's what they found when they dug. I remember your plumber story. There was a plumber that was going to do work there. Get into that real quick. Yeah, so there was a plumber that reached out to me last year. Interestingly, in the unsealed documents, there's a very similar story of another plumber yeah. that's different. It's a different plumber. Oh, it's a different plumber? Yeah, this one, it, it's oh seven gosh. or eight years ago. My the, guy, the guy who reached out to me said just last summer, he went to Ruben Flores' home to work on a sink that was clogged. And he said, I'm going to need to access the pipes underneath your deck. And Ruben said, never mind, and canceled the job. And so this guy had to go back to his company and say, I don't know, he canceled the job. He didn't even want me to look. So he contacted me to let me know that was super weird and creepy. I've never had something like that happen. You might want to know something's going on under Ruben's deck. And his was one of many stories of people reaching out to me to say. Like the avocado tree girl? Yeah. I tried to, you know, walk down the deck to go towards the avocado trees, and he freaked out and said, come back No, 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 no. Tenants that rented out rooms in Ruben's house and said, there's a padlock on this door that goes under the deck. I've never seen it unlocked in the entire time I've lived here. Yeah. Wow. Chris Lambert here. He's up and at him in the morning. We're going to come back. 
uh, talk more about uh, just the latest on the Chris and Smart case. Thanks for being up and at him. You're listening to Up and Adam in the Morning. Coast 104.5. You're up and Adam in the Morning. My name is Adam Montiel. His name is Chris Lambert, the, o- the Your Own Backyard podcast. Uh, released recently episode 9 and 10, a two-part uh, called The Beginning of the End, and took you weeks to edit and put that together, huh? Do, do you know if there's going to be another episode? I don't know at this point. Yeah. Um, I really tried to um, get all my stuff out in this one. Obviously, there's things I couldn't say, and then they were unsealed in these documents uh, less than a week later. Does that make you frustrated a little bit? A little. I mean, <laughs> not really. I mean, I'm the storyteller, and I, I know my role. I'm, yeah. I'm just here to help tell the story publicly. And so as long as the public is learning this info from other news outlets, I'm fine with it. Um, I don't know about a next episode because I have no idea what's going to happen legally. I imagine that if the preliminary takes place in August when it's now scheduled to, that, um, I don't know, I could have daily updates. I could put out little mini-sodes with... Uh, day-to-day court information, if that's allowed. Um, since I am required to sit with the media and be a media person, I might as well report on it. Mm-hmm. Um, at the same time, I might want to wait till it all wraps up and do one big episode about everything we learned. I'm sure that people can learn through, you know, KSBY, KEYT, the Tribune. Um, all of those outlets are going to be reporting on this daily as well. And so, um, like I said, I am steeped in this case and i do know more about it than a lot of other people and so when they bring up little names and dates sometimes i know more than another person about why that's important or why it's being brought up and so for that reason i do feel kind of obligated to keep reporting on it but i don't know when and how and you don't know quite how that what that vehicle is going to look like like you said do we do it daily and do you feel like an inherent because you you are steeped so much deeper into this than say you know maybe the average reporter especially the average local reporter uh, do you feel like I want to? I, I not like you want to compete with them, but I want to. I want to get this out there, or or is it just more like kind of like you did with episode nine? Like I, I'll do it when I'm ready, and it's just you know you're just gonna have to wait. I don't know. It's it's interesting because for a long time I was the only person reporting on this for a long time, and then once the arrests happened and all that, now it's like we're all in the pool together, mm-hmm. and I am the least experienced out of everyone in that courtroom. I'm. I mean, they're probably laughing at me some of the questions I've asked them, and I went in there to get a media badge, and I'm like, where do I go? Mm-hmm. Do I even qualify as media? I'm sitting with some of the other people asking them questions like when is the recess and like, yeah. <laughs> what are we supposed to do? And like, are we allowed to do this? Are we not supposed to do this? I'm a total amateur at this. So they've got me beat when it comes to that stuff. But like I said, I have this encyclopedia of information and people I've talked to that I'm staying in touch with, asking them questions. And so I think I can probably report more thoroughly than anybody else can, but that doesn't mean that I'm going to beat anybody else to the punch. So I'm sure everybody will get their info out before I do. Yeah. But when mine comes out, I think it will probably be more detailed. Yeah. Are you still getting um, people calling you, emailing you with information? Yeah, constantly. Um, and and I, I appealed to the public for that. Um, you know, we need new info and we need to know what's going on. We need to know um, if there are locations that are being revisited over and over again or locations that shouldn't be visited. Are there people driving through your neighborhood when they don't live there? And if so, reach out. And I've gotten some pretty interesting down to like, hey, I was working at Starbucks and guess who came in? And little details here. So I keep, again, a timeline and a calendar. I know 
what was going on at what different times and stuff. And yeah. what's really important is how does it add to the big picture? Some Otherwise, it's just details. If this trial, and I'm not sure it could stay in San Luis Obispo County, I know that the defense would probably be silly to not uh, file for a change of venue. And let's say it, it does move. Are you going to follow the trial wherever it goes? I would assume so, yeah. I would assume that I would prefer to be there in person to see how everything goes. It would be really difficult for me if... Um, if it got moved to another county and I couldn't attend, um, even when it was unclear if the prelim was going to be open to the media and they were sort of arguing for that um, not to be, I was like, how am I going to um, learn about this secondhand from the people who are able to attend? That's going to be pretty tough. Mm -hmm. And so I'm glad that it's open um, and I will be attending. And then whenever the trial does take place, I'm sure I will travel to be there. Yeah, we got Chris Lambert here. He is up and at him in the morning. The Your Own Backyard podcast will come back. We've got some local headlines on Coast. Coast 104.5, thank you for being up and at him in the morning. Chris Lambert from the Your Own Backyard podcast is in studio. It's been incredible to talk to Chris at Smart Case with him. There's many more aspects I want to get into, including last week the judge rules that these past allegations of sexual assault, rape, committed by Paul, sexual assaults that they allege and they know about because they literally have video of them. Mm -hmm. And they literally have painstakingly identified victims. And uh, when they unseal this document, they unsealed it. The names of a lot of these women become uh, public. And then the judge rules last week that these, um, these crimes cannot be used in accordance with prosecuting Christians. Do I have that right? Yeah, that's my understanding is that he refused to allow the rapes to be joined with this case because he believed that it would unusually inflame the jury against Paul. Basically, his argument but was that it? you have a <laughs> you're right. You have a strong case in Los Angeles, which is you have documented evidence of these rapes. And then his argument was that Kristen's is a weaker case where you have circumstantial evidence sure. that points to that being a likelihood. And he said that by introducing the stronger cases, that you would fill in the blanks of what was unknown in Kristen's case with the knowns in those other cases. Okay, but I, the way I look at it is like, no, you take the stronger case and it makes Kristen's case stronger. Right. The argument that I would make, and I mean, I'm not a judge and I'm, I understand his legal position, but the argument that I would make, um, you know, the analogy that I've been making is, for instance, I know this is uh, almost flippant to compare these, but if, you, if your red jacket was stolen and you strongly suspected that Paul Flores had stolen it and you were never able to prove it. But then years later, you went to Paul Flores' house. Dude's got a closet full of red jackets. Collection oh. of red jackets. He's Googling red jackets. He's obsessed with them. Yeah. The yeah. likelihood that he's the guy that stole yes. yours, it's like, this is the guy. And we've always known this was the guy. But the evidence of his behavior continuing and the exact MO in all of these cases, they all describe him the same way. The drugging in particular, uh -huh. the raping of unconscious women yep. in these videos, it's it, the... It's a disappointing conclusion for him to come to, but also, like you said, those women's names were in the unsealed documents. Yeah. I've gotten phone calls this week from some of the female victims saying, why is my name in there? Oh. I have no idea. I I never, ever would would have suspected that your name would be leaked to the public, let alone the defendants who now know who you are. They know your name, and if they get off on this, people are terrified. I mean, these oh, women... Man. 
I've talked to several victims who I was not able to convince to come forward. They shared stories with me, and I pleaded with them, please, your case being added to this one could tip the scales. And they're so afraid because their reputation in the community mm-hmm. could be um, stained in some way. That's how they view it. Yeah. Um, they're they're afraid to come forward. So then a lot of them did come forward, and now their names are public. It it's doesn't do anything in, you know, in our journey, especially of late, the last many years, to make a a space for a woman to come forward with allegations like this safe for them this scenario doesn't seem to do that any justice right and that's the difficulty of when i'm interviewing for them them for the podcast some of the ones that you've heard they're a fraction of the women who have shared their stories but they're the ones who are willing to share their stories Mm -hmm. and most of them if not all of them want to be anonymous they don't want their name used at all so they can't be added to this case because you can't just say this anonymous person claimed this because the defense is going to say, who are they? Yeah. You don't even have proof that it happened. Yeah. So the women who have been brave enough to come forward and use their names in addition, they've. this has created a sense of, see, this is why women don't come forward. Mm. That there are a number of people now saying, I wish I wouldn't have shared my story. It was right. a mistake to share my story. No. And that's a terrible takeaway. Of course it is. Of course it is. Um it reminds me of one of the women in, I don't know if it was episode 9 or 10, where she worked with him at Outback, and she was um, a little bit too shy to like tell him to stop massaging her. Like He would come up and just kind of creepily like start rubbing her shoulders, right. and she just like, I don't know, like I felt weird. Okay, just like, I let him for a minute or so. Yeah. And then someone would come up to be like, do you know like what he is accused of? Like You just let him mas- like a, mur- a murder massage her shoulders and she was like and then and then this inherent embarrassment falls over her like i don't want a murder massaging my shoulders right. like nuck what did i do you know what i mean and it, it's oh it's so tough yeah there's a, a strong lesson i've learned from interviewing all these people about trusting your instincts and not being polite in situations where you're uncomfortable you don't have to be polite if no. someone's making you uncomfortable but it's such a it's such an awkward position to be put in. What else are you supposed to do? I'm sure I've let people do things yeah. that I didn't want them to do because I didn't want to make it awkward. Yeah. And this is the extreme of that. Yeah, absolutely. I want to talk a little bit about Paul Flores' residence in San Pedro. This is the house he owns. Uh, San Pedro is like a port city in L.A. County. Uh, stories of things happening down there, people perhaps seeing activity. What do you know about the San Pedro house? Um, quite a bit. There was one article, I believe, in Cal Coast News that came out last month that was um, alleging that neighbors had seen Paul burying something in his backyard, and he said it was his dog. Um, the timing of that has been looked into. Um, there is some suspicious activity that has gone on at that house. There's some weird structures being built in the backyard that, to me, don't seem functional. They seem to not serve any immediate purpose, and... Um, they are being looked into. I will say that there are a number of people who are looking into every location, and you can bet that Paul's house is going to be on that list. Um, there's a lot going on behind the scenes that you're not hearing about and you won't hear about because they want to do things correctly. What's going on with the house? Who's at it right now? Nobody's at it. Um, I believe that his mom is taking care of it. I know she's gone down a few times to clean it up. Um, as some of the women described in the podcast, it's a disgusting hoarder house. Of course. Filled with, I mean, he, he works at factory jobs. He goes to bars and he stays out at bars till two or three in the morning, hoping to bring women home with him. And then he wakes up with a hangover and goes to work the next day. This is not a guy who's cleaning his house. No. So that's what makes the backyard activity even more unusual. Right. This guy has no hobbies, but he's gardening. 
This guy yeah. has no hobbies, but he's building a brick patio. Yeah, now he's super ambitious with like his backyard. Right. So what exactly is going on back there? There are people looking into it for sure. Now, do you get? I know one of the ways that you were able to get some of the access and whether it's interviews or maybe you know photography is the neighbors of some of these people, right? I mean, yeah. you, you met the neighbors on White Oak, and did you ever like? Have you looked at the San Pedro house? Do you know what it looks like? Have you gone into the neighbor's house and looked over the edge and? Uh-huh. Yeah, I know um, several of the people in the area. There are people who stay in touch with me. Yeah. If they see unusual activity, it's a good four or four and a half hour drive from me. Right. And so they'll send me videos. They'll send me, I got lots of videos of Paul being arrested in his driveway. Damn. Um, th yeah, they're staying in touch, and which is an unusual turn of events because two years ago when I was down there trying to interview people before the podcast had aired, his neighbors almost seemed like they were protecting him. It was like, they all knew what he was accused of. They had seen posters up in the area that people had put up with his face on them. And they just didn't want anybody in their neighborhood poking around. They didn't want people asking questions. And they all described him as being quiet. And, I mean, that's something you hear repeated in every story of every serial killer oh that's ever gosh. been arrested is he was such a quiet guy. Yeah. He kept to himself. But there's been neighbors who have told me they saw really weird stuff happening there. And they heard really weird stuff. There's definitely weird things going on down there and the neighbors have been helpful recently have you peeked in his backyard do you see what it looked like or any part of what his house looks like yeah you can see it from the neighbor's yard pretty well yeah. um and also they had a helicopter over there last year when they did one of the searches and you can see every detail of the backyard in those helicopter shots and uh like i said there's some weird gardening stuff going on there's some weird brick structures being built that appear to be like two levels of concrete that really don't serve any purpose in my opinion um but who knows? They could dig it up and it could be nothing. But until you dig it up, you never know. And that's the issue is this guy is accused of first degree murder. He's accused of raping many women. Um, search the backyard and find out what's in there definitively. Well, we talked about, you know, in this unsealed document trove, uh, learned about a dig in Wasna. We also talked about, I mean, you're, you must know of things that we haven't even talked about here. And I imagine there are some digs and explorative exercises in places that we don't know about. But I imagine if something goes down at San Pedro, we are going to find out about it. Yeah, I think the neighbors and the Impossible local media would be on it right away. Yeah. yeah. So I kind of want to talk about Ruben Flores for a second because there's this uh, dynamic of him that I've kind of heard uh, and then the, uh, there was a little bit of a delay in allowing him to bail himself out and about like ill-gotten gains and money and what do we know as far as his financial situation and how um, the money he's allowed to use to defend himself yeah that's a that's an issue that hasn't fully been made public yet and so I don't want to share too much about it but I will say when Ruben attempted to bail himself out that the prosecution brought up I believe it's called a 1275 hold. Mm -hmm. You should definitely Google that. There are issues when it comes to the Flores family's money that are still being looked into. And uh, people email me constantly asking, how is this family affording all the houses? That's not such a mystery. They rent out rooms in their houses. They're insanely highly priced. Um, they, they usually have three or four renters at a time at both houses. They're making lots of money that way. And it's not really a question where they've gotten their money. But what is a question is what they've been doing with that money and why they would place a hold on that bail money. So that's public that we know there was this 1275 hold, right? right? Okay, so I just Googled it. A 1275 hold is a is placed on a defendant's bail because there is reason to believe that money being used for the bail was generated by the commission of a felony. So that's huge. So that means we don't even, this stuff really hasn't even surfaced yet, but we can kind of deduce based on that that there are some 
something that, that Ruben is being investigated for, that ill-gotten gains was achieved, and he has some money that, and, and it may have went to his house, that's why he's not allowed to use his house, or he's not allowed to use any monies to bail himself out because of that. But we don't know what that is yet. That's right. Do you, but can't tell me? I know some stuff. Yeah, really? I know some of it. When do we see this coming out? I don't know. And I probably don't know the half of it. You know, there's probably yeah, yeah, yeah. so many more details. But from what I have heard, I've been sort of waiting for that info to get out. Yeah. Interesting. We're going to continue with uh, Chris Lambert. The Your Own Backyard podcast is Up and Adam in the Morning. Up and Adam in the Morning with Adam Montiel. It's Coast 104.5. You're Up and Adam in the Morning. My name is Adam Montiel. In studio, Chris Lambert from the Your Own Backyard podcast. So I thought it was really interesting that you said when you're putting these together, you made episode 10, part two of the beginning of the end, to literally encapsulate everything you know up as to this point. And if it did need to be the end, it could. Right. But that, to a lot of people, I think a lot of people are like, no. Oh, yeah. I think, um, I mean, the moment there was an arrest, they were like, when's the next episode? Yeah. Like, Hang on. And so, like I said, there's so much info that I haven't put in an episode yet that I can't just do a little five, ten minute update about the arrest. It's got to be a whole backstory. Yeah. And then more info keeps coming out. People kept reaching out to me. So um, it's never, it never really feels like people are going to get enough of it. It feels like they want to know more, which yeah. I understand. Um, but then I got to be careful about what I do release too. Are you capable of putting together a small form, not intricate production, say when you're at you know, trial or when we're doing things and we're getting like, you know, routine updates or, or is, I mean, are you so much of a perfectionist and uh, want to get in there and just make this production just so? Cause that's very you. I've learned that about you just from being a musician. You're putting everything together. Like you're very deliberate and thoughtful in how you want to present this. Yeah. I am pretty hard on myself. I think, um, I do have a hard time. Um, being lax about my standards for myself. And so I think it would be pretty difficult for me to do even a short episode that I didn't produce as well as I could. But then that does inhibit me from getting out more episodes. And so maybe if it comes down to it and I am doing daily updates after the preliminary hearings, which may be an option, I might have to take it easy on myself. And I hope people understand that too, that if there's less production value in those, that's why. Yeah. It's so that you get more. Do you worry about that? Constantly. I mean, I worry about everything. I'm just a worrier. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I worry about, you know, I used to put out albums and I would put out a new album every year. And my constant fear was, what if this one is not quite as good as the last one and people lose interest entirely? Yeah. Oh, man, he let us down. I think everybody worries about that when you put out projects. But with this in particular, there's never been more people paying attention to what I'm doing. It's a lot of pressure. And I, I try not to pay attention to reviews and comments and stuff because they can be overwhelmingly negative about even just the sound of my voice, my character. Yeah, are you insecure that, about those things? Yeah, I think everybody's insecure about that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. and, um, I've just learned how to deal with it. And I know that the majority of people leaving negative comments, it's really not about me to begin with. It's something, it's something entirely different. And I, I see those every once in a while, though. And I do worry that what if I put out a subpar episode? I wonder how much the ratings would drop on something like that. Not that it matters whatsoever. Who cares what kind of rating I have on the Apple Store or Spotify or whatever it is? Um, but yeah, that, that all goes. But, but I mean, and I don't think it's bad, a bad look on you to care about that. I mean, you are putting out a, a product. It is something that is, you know, um, although it is informative, 
it is a form of entertainment. I mean, it, we are, and I hate to put it that way, and I, I don't mean it in a in a disrespectful way. And like, like I said, you know, true crime to a lot of people is like a genre now. It's only when true crime is in your own backyard, no pun intended, that it becomes real. It becomes very heavy. So I get it. Like you are putting out this, you know, this piece of work that is meant to, you know, one, satiate people to want to know more about the case, but it's also satiating this uh, new genre that has blown up in the last decade. Yeah, and I think when, before I had put out any of the episodes, when I was telling people I'm working on this podcast about the case, what they had in mind was probably more in line with your typical true crime podcasts, which come out weekly, and they cover cases in sort of a, an overview way. Let's talk about this in 45 minutes or something. And it's like, no, this is going to be like an episodic, really detailed, firsthand interviews, like um, accounts from contemporary interviews and more modern follow-ups and stuff like that, plus my narrative stringing it all together. I was trying to work on... So Truman Capote's book, In Cold Blood, I read that several times when I was working on this. Like, the the taking a real-life case... And trying to tell it in a way that it's interesting to the average listener without exploiting it is a very uh, thin line. It's a tightrope to walk. It really and is. I, I actually talking was, about it here. I feel the same way. I mean, yeah. I, I can't say I feel the the. I don't have the pressure on me that you do, but like I am, you know, a huge supporter of the Smart Family. I want to do only right by them. So anytime that this case comes out of my mouth, I want it to be done in a way that is uh, in a respect, we'll have Ian in here, or, or right. shoot, when I have Elon Funky Bilu and talking about defense tactics, I mean, I, I yeah. want it to be done in a, in a respectful way. I totally get what you mean there. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, I, I would, that's part of the reason I didn't do advertisements. It felt a little, mm. a little weird to me, even though I totally respect people who do do it that way. And I understand you could make money and I could be doing this full time if that were, uh, and not have to worry you about it. You think the smarts job. would think of you differently if you, no, no, I think they would completely understand if I needed to fund myself that way, but I'm glad that I don't have to. Um, and I was also against doing cliffhanger endings. Like, when I was first writing the scripts, I thought, is that exploitative to end everything on a cliffhanger to make people have to tune in? And one of my writer friends was like, are you kidding me? That's how you keep people interested. It's not exploitative to keep people interested yeah. in the story you're telling. So if you can hold back a little detail and say, you know this thing? We're going to talk about that next time. It keeps people wanting to tune in, and it is not taking advantage of a situation to to string a story together. It's storytelling. Yeah, I totally agree. I think that's a really good point. I think of like Serial. Serial came out right a little before you. It, uh, I think it was several years. Um, I think like five years before me. But and that, that was... paved a way for like this. Oh my gosh, I want to know what's next. I want to. But I mean, what you did to Serial. I mean, it's just like it's. I mean, your they took a deep dive, but you are like immersed. In this in such a more unique way and um, I know I listened to like just like the beginning of episode 9 and I want to play it again because it, it, it's so good and um, it does kind of really much you know where do I have it, I have it over here bring you in I had it right oh yeah right here check it out Paul is charged with the first degree murder of Kristen Smart and Ruben with accessory after the fact. 
helping his son dispose of Kristen Smart's body. Like, what is that? Is that like a drone? Is that like a synthesizer you have in the background or what? Yeah, it is a synthesizer. And are you literally voicing this while you're playing it? Don't tell me you're doing that. That's crazy, right? No, not at the same time. Because that would be, yeah. yeah. I'll read the narrative and then I do the score after. So then you're reading this narrative and then you'll like listen to it and then like you're on the synthesizer, like feeling it. Right. Are like your eyes closed? Are you like (laughs) looking up or do you have like a piece of music that you're going to quote play to it? Um, sometimes both. Um, I mean, so you could be interpretively feeling it a little bit. Sometimes, yeah. Uh, it doesn't always lead to my best work, but sure. sometimes what I usually try to do is pick up on a theme of what is this section trying to get across and what chords do I know that can get that point. Would you ever want to do that in the future? I mean, you're always talking about where, like scoring. Yeah. I mean, you would be a fantastic score. I mean, this is all your music. I've done scoring for short films and stuff yeah. in there, and it's something that I would be willing to do more of. Yeah. Right, so as has long been speculated. Well, I just want someone, when they listen to this, appreciate what's happening with the music as has long been speculated so why are they being arrested now after all this time because during a dig at Ruben's house on March 15th investigators believe that they finally located the exact spot where Kristen Smart's body was buried 25 years ago but there's one major problem she's not there anymore and that's where you come in I have chills. Oh my god! So when you voice that, do you go like, do you go like this? Like she's not there anymore. She's not there anymore. She's not there anymore. Like do you have different takes and things like that too, or I, you just I do. It? Yeah, but but I think I think I know when I'm writing the scripts now how I want to read it. So yeah, yeah, I yeah. usually read it out loud several times. I change the wording. Sometimes I type things and then I read it out loud and it's clunky. So I try to rephrase it so that it's as fluid as it can be. Yeah. Um, and I try to leave spaces because I know there's going to be music, there's going to be sound effects. So when I'm describing stuff, I try to take my time with it. I think that's, I mean, even the way I'm talking now, I'm kind of rushing through a lot of what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. And when I'm narrating, I really try to drag things out because I want it to be, I want you to be able to follow everything I'm saying. Yeah. Cram a lot of info into each Sure. Yeah, they're all fantastic. I mean, all 10 are just nuts. I mean, they're so good. And you've been told that before. But I almost think maybe episode nine was like the best one. I've, I mean, it was just so good. And then like literally, and you've done this in other episodes too, but like where you're one, you paint this picture of Stan Smart, Kristen's father, who's following, um, Ruben Flores on the freeway down South 101. And I'm thinking like, oh my gosh, this is incredible. He's following to see where they go. And then for some reason, I don't totally know why. He, he gives up. He decides to pull a U-turn in somewhere in Buellton. So he's already gone like 45, 50 minutes following this guy. Yeah. And then when he comes up and he comes home, he knows that he's at least an hour ahead of when Ruben Flores could even be home right. because no one's going to be there. And he's standing on the edge of the property. And and the podcast, it's so heavy the way you deliver this, but he's he might not be more than 60 feet from at that time where Kristen is laying. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's something that, you know, those are the sorts of things that stand out to me in my brain, knowing the timeline and then learning new details and going, oh my gosh, if that's true, mm-hmm. then this is true. And then thinking, how can I work that into the script? And how can I explain that to an audience in a way that they feel the same emotions about that that I do? That's very heavy. I don't think we get this podcast the way we do. If there is one, obviously no Chris Lambert, but if there's no Chris Lambert who is a brilliant musician, a thoughtful friend, a thoughtful community member, someone who is deliberate in how they want to seek out information. Um, 
you're obviously a good journalist and you don't you, you don't call yourself one but i mean you you interview all these people you maintain their anonymity if they want to you don't expose them if they don't you are working with the uh, authorities if you don't excel in all of these many many facets we don't have quite the production that this becomes i mean that to me is a really it's it kind of blows my mind what do you yeah, think of that? That's something I don't know. I haven't really thought about it that way. That part of what I've tried to impress upon people, and you know, I've had offers for you should write a book about this, write sure, a book about doing this. That's what I hope and you I, do. I think the theme would have to be. I mean, I don't have any plans to, but the theme would have to be for me. You could do this too. Yeah. Like I did this with used equipment that I bought on eBay at a dining room table in an upstairs apartment. Yeah. yeah I mean, you could do this too, but you make a good point that. I'm sure there are facets of who I am and that I've spent my life recording in a bedroom. I've spent my life making music that go into it that I don't even really consider the entire package. Mm -hmm. But, um, yeah, I don't know. Are you still on that, that old used equipment? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Really? What kind of mic do you use? Um, now I've upgraded to an SM7, okay. finally, the, the kind of studio mic. But yeah. the, originally I was recording on like an MXL, like a $70 yeah. Amazon mic. And... Um, Honestly, not much of a difference. Like, you could do it, too. One thing I, um, I've always thought is so funny and interesting is, like, whether my morning show, Cork Dorks, the podcast I do, um, you'll talk to, whether it's, like, you know, family, close friends, you know, lady I fancy, it's like, they don't listen. You know, so sometimes the closest people in your circle, maybe they get so much of you. Yeah. Like, lady I fancy gets so much of Adam at home. Like, the last thing she probably wants to do is, like, I know she's going to listen to this because you're on, not because I, you know what I mean? <laughs> do, does your girlfriend listen to the podcast? She listens with me um, when it when it's first finished. She wants to hear it along with the audience, but she wants to be sitting next to me when we listen. And yeah. once it's done, I don't know that she ever revisits it on her own. That it's interesting. Um, my mom listens over and over. And Does over she really? Again because she, oh, that's she really sweet. Picks out new details every time. Are you and, close with your mom? Oh yeah. Oh, that's yeah. And really my mom sweet. has been. I mean, she was one of the first people I sat down and said, "I want to cover this case. Do you remember this case?" Yeah. And she's like, "I remember seeing it on the news. Wasn't there something about a mattress they alerted on?" And it it was like. I would share details with her as it came along. And so, you know, she'd get excited when I got a hold of people that she knew were a big deal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you, um, does she try and get information from you that maybe you're, you're not really ready to tell mom? Sometimes. I love you, mom, <laughs> but come on. Yeah, sometimes. You can probably trust your mom. You could tell her, right? Sure. Sometimes I'm like, hey, uh, nobody at work gets to know about yeah. this one, okay? <laughs> yeah. Oh, she works with the ladies and she went, oh, but she must be so proud of you. She yeah, must go yeah, back and tell so. all the, her, her girlfriends. Like, yeah. And you can imagine everybody in my life, when they're around other people, they get questions like, does he know blank? Or oh, can you tell of course. Us and so that's tough for them to be in a position where they're trying, they're being pried for yeah. information. So I don't share stuff that I think might be. Yeah. Can't tell mom too much. Oh, that is so cute. I, uh, just hearing that, it makes me miss my mom because she was, she was a lot like that. That's so sweet. Okay. We're going to come back. We're going to wrap up with Chris Lambert. He is of the Your Own Backyard podcast. He is up and Adam in the morning. This is up and Adam in the morning. It's Coast 104.5. It is Up and Adam in the Morning, our final segment with Chris Lambert, the Your Own Backyard Podcast. What we learned today, goodness, after 47 pages were unsealed, we learned about a, a dig and a search in, in Wozna next to a skate ramp. We learned that um, from folks that I know who are inside the courtroom along with uh, yourself, the defense is really choosing to um, or chose to really malign Kristen in a lot of these recent hearings. Were you surprised? I know they got to do what they got to do, but some of the things I heard, I was just like, are you kidding? 
Yeah, it was only surprising to me in the way they framed it. Like yeah. the information was nothing new, but it's rumor at best. And to frame it that way and try to imply that this could be evidence that she ran away. That's how you raise reasonable doubt. I mean, they're doing their jobs, I guess. I guess they have a big hill to climb because not only, you know, would this trial be, you know, look, look if it happens in Slow County, it's going to be tough. But uh, the fact if, if the trial were to get moved, your podcast, along with it being on, you know, every big news show in the country, but mainly your podcast, a lot of people know this. I mean, you could put this jury in, you know. Sioux City, Iowa, and they may know a little bit just from your podcast. Yeah, I mean, the podcast is charted in Thailand. It's yeah. charted in other countries where they didn't know about this case before. And so to argue to change venue, it's like change to where? Where are you going to find a, a a more reasonable jury who is less likely to already have formed an opinion? And like I said, the Bronco Chase is the best example of that. If you can broadcast this on national daytime television and still find a jury... They can do it here. Considering there's like a half a million, probably like a 500,000 podcast floating above us right now, and you were the number one podcast on planet Earth. Yeah. When you heard that, what did you think? Um, I don't know. I had made it up to three, two before. And so when I finally hit one, it was like, okay, finally. Like, I, I was right there so long. But it doesn't, I mean, it doesn't mean anything. It doesn't translate to anything besides... It doesn't mean it because you're not cool. monetizing it. Right. And I did... I, a lot of the biggest podcasts did reach out to me on that day and just let me know like they're really excited and really proud of me. Like who? Um, my favorite murder. Uh, oh, the, Crime the gals. Junkie. Yeah, like oh, all sure. the biggest ones yeah. have reached out and have been very kind to me. Um, and also offered to buy me. I mean, there have been several offers from different networks where they're like, we want to just buy your podcast, put ads in it, and put it on our network. And of course, if I already made it that high without being on a network, why? Um, maybe that's something to consider down the road that yeah. if I were going to do this for another case, maybe that's a way to do it and mm -hmm. monetize it without feeling dirty about it. Yeah. But I don't know. I think but you can do your work. I mean, like you said, you even had a blessing from the smart family. Like I think you can definitely do the work you've done and get a, a decent pay for it. I mean, shoot. Yeah. I mean, you, I think you could be making six, six, seven figures. I mean, this is crazy what you've done with this production. It's, it's remarkably well produced and it, it's effective. I mean, I don't know that you're, I mean, look, just a part of you not want to get into anything else because it might not, you might not be as effective. I mean, you literally helped help the case. Yeah, I, that's not a consideration for me. I think if I were going to cool. pick up another case, it would have to be one that I felt like I'd, I could actually affect in some way um, or that would benefit from attention. Maybe it's a case that's suffering without attention that needs this. Um, even though everybody knew Kristen's name and, and her name was well-known on the Central Coast, when I got into it in 2018, it did feel to me like, the talk was waning, that people were not discussing it. And the people I asked, you know, I'd go get my hair cut and I'd be like, what do you remember about the Kristen Smart case? And they almost always thought I was talking about the Elizabeth Smart case. Sure. And the ones who did remember it would be like, didn't they find her? I heard that they found her when they dug at Cal Poly. No, that's not true. And so then the more I asked around, the more I thought, wow, there's a lot of misinformation out yeah. there that maybe I can clear up. So it would have to be a case that I felt like could benefit from being talked about. Have you perused the cases around has anyone struck you have you i mean even if you don't tell me what about it now yeah. have you looked at a couple i get emails every day saying please cover this one i always google them just uh -huh. just read about them casually and there's a few that have like sucked me into the rabbit hole where i'm like whoa this is interesting really um and and every one of them deserves attention it just doesn't necessarily have to be from me there's people yeah. you know if you send me one from kansas city missouri there's probably a podcaster closer to you who can cover that with the amount of attention to detail it deserves. There's only so much I can do from the central coast of California. Have you had people hit you up and be like, hey, I'm in 
um, Wichita, Kansas, and I uh, we got this case here that you know um, yeah, from my high that, school. I would that's love to. The majority of it, really? the majority of it is people in other states saying, "Here's a huge case that is not getting the attention it deserves. Please cover it." No, what about like, "Hey, I'm out here. There's a huge case. I want to do it. Do you have any advice for?" Me? Oh, yeah, I've gotten that too. Yeah, I've gotten. I've talked to a few people on the phone and just sort of walked them through how I did things. Yeah, I don't know whether they followed through on them. I really hope so. Uh-huh. I always tell people when I get off the phone, "Please send it to me when it's done." Like, I'm really curious to see how other people are going to do this. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there's a few too that um, people have asked, will you assist me with this? I want to cover this, but I want to do it with you. Um, I don't really have time for that right now, but it's something I would consider in the future too. You know, um, somebody texted me about the trucks. There was a, the, what, the green truck, the pickup truck that was taken based off a tip. Right. Right. I didn't see that anything about that in the unsealed material. Was that a surprise to you? Yeah, I was expecting to read maybe the results of what those tests had been. I know that they have collected, I think, at least four of the Flores family's vehicles that I know of, maybe more than that. Um, but when they collected them, I'm sure that they scrubbed everything for DNA evidence. I think they take it down to the to the nut and bolt. Everything is just in pieces, and each one is independently tested. They may still be testing some of those pieces, or they may have gotten the results back and they don't feel the need to release the results yet, or maybe they led to nothing. I have no idea. Because you read these 47 pages, and like the beginning of it especially reads like a narrative of that night, and then just right. the, the initial time after. And then, of course, it fast-forwards to a lot of stuff of today, and it it's a very comprehensive piece of work. But they don't have to show all their cards right now. So there could be stuff about these pickup trucks or anything that they don't put in here. Is that true? Absolutely. The, the only things that went into these unsealed documents are the things that directly supported a joinder of those rape cases with this case. So anything that didn't directly have some connection to those things did not need to be put in there. Interesting. There's still lots of things they're keeping close to the vest. And what Chris is talking about, a judge last week ruled that these past... Uh, past allegations of sexual assault, allegations that, mind you, are backed by video that Paul took himself, victimizing uh, women. Uh, they tried to add two charges of rape with drugs to the murder case, and a judge last week, unfortunately, said, "That's we're not going to let that happen. Right. And I don't like that. Yeah, there's an evidence code in California, 1108, that provides for propensity evidence in cases like this, which is if there is similar behavior in other unrelated cases, it can be used. But what the judge's argument was, was you have to go through a step-by-step process to see, is it going to inflame the jury if we do introduce it? And ultimately he ruled that he believed it would. But I don't mind inflaming the jury. I don't know. I just, (laughs) what do I know, right? But I think that like, when you have this evidence here, look at when you look and and this is an unsealed. So when this, this 47 pages I'm holding, this unsealed, anybody can get this if they know how to, is that true? I believe so. So you look at what Paul Flores was Googling. If, if a man is Googling these things, there's no reason to ever need to Google. I never want to see the Google search results of the things that he was Googling. Right. Ever. I don't even want to see the, the thumbnails of them. Like, what are you talking about? And, and you have all these women who are like, literally have stories. Go ahead. Sorry. One thing that we haven't even touched on is that the folder that he was saving these rape videos in, he titled practice. Oh, my God. What is that about? What is it practiced for? And I saw that. You can, you can surmise what it probably meant. And he also stored these on hard drives, external hard drives, right. which meant he was very deliberate about the way that he downloaded these, saved them, stored them. Mm-hmm. And so the title practice is pretty telling about yeah. what his mindset was. Yeah. Capital C for creepy. Capital C for this guy. I've never heard the word creepy so appropriately attached to one 
person on this earth than this guy. When you listen to these stories and when you listen to episodes uh, 9 and 10 of Your Own Backyard, the podcast. Okay, well, what do you want to do? You're going to get some time off? I mean, we have a little bit of time before, what, August is the prelim? Hopefully, are they going to put it off yeah, again? That's tentative. Um, it could move again. It could be pushed back as far as fall. Uh, why is that? Why are we pushing this back more? I don't know. It's hard to know. Um, is this the money I, issues with Ruben? I un- no. It, I understand that it's kind of a common defense tactic to okay. keep pushing back. The, the argument that I've heard in each pushback so far has been that the defense has not caught up on all of the discovery. But then in court last week, the defense attorney said there is no evidence. They've turned over 30,000 pages of stuff, but very little evidence, if any. And it's like, okay, well, what is all, you know, the 47 pages of unsealed documents proves that there's a quite a bit in there to go yeah. through and he doesn't have time to do it he's it's, working on other cases yeah it's like you got one side of this mouth is like oh there's all this to do we need more time to go through it but then the other the other side he's belly aching that uh, paul wants a, a speedy trial right well so which is it i mean i guess this is just tactics of a defense attorney it could be yeah, yeah. and so it's tentatively scheduled to begin august 2nd um the prosecution is expected to spend 12 days arguing their side. I don't know if that will be affected by the fact that they can't introduce these other rapes. I don't know if that will shorten it or not, but then the defense has a chance to respond. How do the smart family take that? I don't like that. It makes me feel like it's not going to be a safe space for women to, to come forward with allegations when they get you know treated like this. I don't like that. How did the smart family take the news? I think that's exactly how they felt and that people have explained it several times in a legal sense. Well, maybe the judge is doing it this way so that it can't be thrown out on appeal. Or maybe the judge is trying to protect this interest, etc. Um, it's still hard to not feel um, awful for women in this position who have now been outed and don't get to argue their case in court either. They don't get to testify. You gonna take a little time off? You gonna do something? I think I will probably take a couple days off to relax. Couple um, days. Yeah, it's always a couple days and there's something else going on. Um, I do have the rest of this week. Um, I'm planning to just relax and take time for myself. But as soon as we get back into the courtroom, it will be back to the grind. Yeah, all right. Uh, well, we definitely keep us uh, in mind. Don't be a stranger. Um, I know you don't uh, speak for the smart family per se, uh, per se but uh, make sure you do give them our best here. And uh, are they holding up? Are they holding? Are they holding in up and stuff or what? I think so. I think that uh, they've had 25 years of training to deal with yeah. stuff like this. They've been disappointed many, many times yeah. before. Great way to put it, um, Christopher Lambert. I called you Christopher. Is that what your mom calls That's you? Okay, no. <laughs> <laughs> Chris Lambert is the uh, host and producer and uh, the end all be all of the Your Own Backyard podcast. You have to check out episode nine and ten. They are new. It is the beginning of the end, part one and two. I can't thank you enough again for being up and Adam in the morning, Chris. Thank you, Adam. Up and Adam in the morning. Up and Adam in the morning. Uh-huh.